Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work episode. Today, Disney had probably its most difficult investor moment in its history as it announced earnings for what has been the worst quarter in any year of the company's history. Disney is a storytelling organization and no story is perhaps better than Disney's own. And the arc of this part of the story is exceptional. It's important to know what went on and what it means going forward. We'll share the highlights, the questions and concerns, as well as the hopes for going forward. Comments, concerns, and questions. Disney's fiscal third quarter 2020 earnings call. You can find uh, our show notes page at disneyatwork.com. It will highlight all of the comments that I'll make here and also include some visuals and other links that will be important to this. By the way, to begin with, dialing into this call, you're put on hold uh, to music. And of course, what music is going to be there, but Disney music. I should mention two pieces of music that were played right before the conference call. I'll mention the second piece later on. But the first piece was Olaf singing When I Am Older from Frozen 2. Now, I won't sing that song when I... Well, anyway, I won't sing that song, but listen to the lyrics. This will all make sense when I am older. Someday I will see that this makes sense. One day, when I'm old and wise, I'll think back and realize that these were all completely normal events. I'll have all the answers when I'm older, like why we're in this dark enchanted wood. Growing up means adapting, puzzling out your world and your place. See, that will all make sense when I am older, so there's no need to be terrified or tense. Well, I hope that our podcast today will help you to make sense of where Disney is in this crazy pandemic and through all that it has gone through in, uh, in the last several months. Let's start with the highlights of the quarterly call. First of all, just financial, and I'm not going to get you deeply embedded in numbers, but I'm going to give you enough to kind of give you a sense. There was a 4.7 loss of oh, 4.7 billion, by the way, 4.7 billion loss during this third quarter. Now contrast that to a year ago, last year about this time, when they posted a profit of about 1.4 billion dollars. So you could see that this is this is uh, nearly six billion dollars less than a year ago. Revenues were down by 42 percent compared to the same quarter last year uh, at 11.8 billion. It was 20.3 billion in revenues last year. There still was, despite all this, a small profit with adjusted earnings per share coming in at about eight cents per share. Now compare that to a year ago, that share was $1.35. So eight cents, $1.35, you get the picture. That said, the dividend uh, was suspended earlier 
um, by the board for the first half of 2020. The board will still determine whether to do a dividend toward the latter half of the calendar year, but right now dividends aren't even being handed out. Given all of that, given all of those losses financially in summary, I should also mention that Disney is sitting on some $23 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash at the end of this period. Much of this money was raised in March and April when low interest rates were available to U.S. corporations. Disney decided to, to just get it when you can. It was sort of their insurance policy for whatever was going to come next. And they took advantage of that. What they do with the cash in time remains to be seen because they haven't seen how these events will all unfold. But you should know that they are sitting. Now, I say $23 billion in cash, which would look really good <laughs> in my bank account for sure. Understand that there are corporations like Apple sitting on over $200 billion in cash. That's going to be important as we talk about um, why cash on hand is is critical. Um, we'll come back to that a little later. Let's start with the biggest positive highlight to Disney. That is direct-to-consumer or the big news, Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus has reached 60.5 million subscribers domestically and 100 million paid subscription video on demand, SVOD, internationally. They are in markets such as Western Europe, India, and Japan. In fact, Disney Plus will soon be in nine of the top 10 economies in the world. They, that, that subscriber goal, this has exceeded their expectations of what they thought it might be. This has gone very, very well. They announced today the Mulan, the film Mulan, which has been held off in the theaters and they are going to release Mulan as a film on Disney Plus on what is called a premier access basis on September 4th. They will charge about $29.99 for that privilege of seeing Mulan, where um, theaters are open, by the way, in the U.S., if theaters are open at that time, it also be released as well there, if there are any theaters. Mulan will give Disney an opportunity to learn uh, under that Premier Access offering. Now, this has been a controversial thing as Universal released their last Trolls movie, which is an unimportant movie, but what was significant about that was that they released it to a pay, on you know pay kind of basis and didn't hold it for the movie theaters. The way Disney is putting it right now, they're trying to, um, they're not trying to say we're usurping the movie theater model. They're just saying in this instance, we're releasing it in this way. You still have to have, by the way, a Disney Plus subscription to see it. So it's not free under Disney Plus. You'll pay $29.99, but you'll have to have Disney Plus um, uh, signed up for that in order to get it. So that's kind of the 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 kind of context for it. Now, it, they noted that shows like Hamilton and Black is King 
is bringing in new subscribers that were not coming in earlier. In other words, they have been successful in bringing in new audiences into that subscriber model. They also noted that Mandalorian 2 is on its way and that Marvel content such as Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision are on the horizon and um, they're able, and as they are able to re-enter production, they too will be um, available on Disney+. Plus. That's, that's, that Marvel content along with Mandalorian is what's intended to keep subscribers subscribing to Disney+. Plus. Additionally, Disney will be releasing in 2021 a new international streaming service called Star. Under that Star streaming service, it'll include things like ABC, FX, Freeform, Searchlight, and the 20th Century Studio brands. In many markets, the offering will be fully integrated into Disney's established Disney Plus platform from both a marketing and technology perspective, and it'll be distributed under the Star brand. Um, why Star brand instead of Hulu? Because that's what Disney uses here to distribute that content. They use Hulu. Well, Star is already a successful distribution platform. Why not take great content, send it through that? Hulu uh, takes third-party content. Star is not going to do that. Plus, Hulu has no real brand uh, awareness once you leave the U.S., um, nor does it really have a lot of international licenses abroad. So, so Star is really their star. Um, but in truth, all of the um, uh, direct-to-consumer uh, market that Disney has right now is a bright star, sorry the pun, uh, moving forward from Disney Plus to, to Hulu to Star and all of that. So it's done very well. So what about movie studio entertainment? Well, that obviously has decreased. Movie theaters being closed, worldwide theatrical results were dramatically lowered with closed theaters. Um, no significant titles were released. I mean, last year, you know, here was big name movies like Avengers Endgame and no other major releases last uh, have been made this year to make up for it. Now, I will say, let me go back to the Milan situation. Um, Chapik was very clear that Mulan is a quote-unquote one-off as opposed to being a new business model. But he did also say that Disney is interested in learning what happens in terms of the number of transactions. In my view, I think Mulan will be very successful when it is, it goes through this uh, uh, subscriber opportunity. However, whether or not it's as good as a full theatrical run plus, um, you know, DVD and other kinds of things afterwards, that remains to be seen. So, so again, this this is going to be very telling as to what's happening with Mulan. Let me summarize media networks before I get on to the really big one, Disney Parks Experiences and Products. Media networks this is the group which includes ABC, ESPN, Disney Channel, all of that. Um, they report a 48% jump in operation income to about 3.15 billion. Operating income was up 
Plus, they had lower production programming costs because they really couldn't go out there and do uh, any shooting. Um, they had higher programming sales, which were driven by release of into syndication of some shows like Simpsons and Modern Family. And ESPN was much lower because of the absence of sports programming, but it also benefited from lower production costs um, because, you know, they couldn't go out and actually um, do any uh, sports events. Now we get to parks, experiences, and products. And this is the one that interests me the most. And boy, there's a lot to share here. Um, COVID-19 had approximately a $3.5 billion impact on the operating income at Disney's parks, experiences, and products during the quarter. That is a decrease of 85% to a little less than $1 billion. By the way, remember, that includes their consumer products as well as their, their parks and resorts. Roughly 50% of Walt Disney World's guests were coming from outside the general local area, with the other 50% coming from in-state. Now, what is local and what is in-state is not so abundantly clear because, well, you say in-state, well, that's the state of Florida, right? But a lot of Disney's promotions to for its annual passes and those kinds of things extend beyond the borders of Florida to states like Georgia and uh, Mississippi and Alabama. So sometimes they canvass those those areas as well. But roughly speaking, and, and by the way, that local area of in-state is usually only about 20% at best. So as, as I remember the numbers. So Walt Disney World is, however, driving a positive net result despite lower business. Obviously, low inbound travel is having an impact. In other words, people, um, people are reluctant to get on a plane and come to Florida. However, that upside from reopening is less than ex um, expected due to the surge of COVID-19 cases in Florida. In other words, they thought that there would be some rebound, but then they reopen and with COVID cases going up in Florida, more people canceled their vacation plans to get on a plane and come to Disney. The reservation stream showed that Disney had demand, but COVID's reemergence caused greater trepidation. Disney, um, uh, really ended up having um, to replace its business through local and annual pass holders instead of those buying tickets and making hotel reservations. And I talked about this in a previous podcast that the real money is when people book a Disney vacation and stay on resort property. The next tier comes from those who are in the area and buy a, a park ticket full day park ticket to come on in and see the parks. And then after that are the annual pass holders. Parks are showing again, what they call a net positive contribution. Um, not opening a park if Disney, Disney would not open a park if they couldn't sh create a revenue that showed a profit shortly thereafter. 
It's not as high as it should be, but it is still in a net positive contribution. And they noted that Shanghai opened in that same realm as well with a net positive contribution. They didn't mention how strong Hong Kong's temporary status was, which ended up closing shortly thereafter. And they didn't mention Paris in this discussion. Uh, they did note, going back to Walt Disney World, that the per caps were very strong, that visitors were hungry for the Disney experience. Also, many locals had not yet seen Rise of the Resistance. I have friends and colleagues here in town who haven't seen that, or even have seen the full Star Wars Galaxy's Edge experience, much less things like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So, so the good news is, there's a lot of people who want to see this. They're hungry to see it. Even locals are hungry to see it. And their per cap purchases are pretty good once they're in the parks, but it's about getting them to the parks. And for that reason, different guests have different values to their contribution, as Chapek puts it. Um, but it's not because of price reductions. He emphasized that it's not because they're cheapening the price of the ticket, although resort hotels prices have been discounted. Um, they're not discounting food. They're not discounting merchandise. They're not discounting the ticket per se. So, um, but, you know, all that is kind of the whole picture of the Disney parks. Um, beyond all those segments of the organization, I should mention a few other things. On the call was Bob Chapek, CEO, and Christine M. McCarthy, who's the Senior Executive Vice President and CFO. They were both on the call. You should note Bob Iger was not on the call. Um, in this call, they promised a new investor call would be coming shortly to review more of the direct-to-consumer uh, news. In other words, they kind of kicked the ball down the field with the intent to say, hey, hold on, there's still more. We got a lot going on, really good stuff, and uh, direct-to-consumer news. So we're going to have another event in a few months, is what they said, I assume, sometime between now and the end of the next quarter. So probably somewhere in a, a month and a half to two months. Chapek also noted that Disney earned 145 primetime Emmy nominations throughout all their brands. Mandalorian had... 15 nominations alone. So, you know, there, there was good news in, 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 in these little spots uh, throughout the conversation. Now, um, there were questions asked largely by investors, most of them pretty good, some of them, yeah, not sure they understood the business. But here are the questions I would have liked to have asked had I been asked, which I was not asked, but that's another story. Here are the questions I would have asked. Um, where are we in terms of getting Disneyland reopened? Particularly, Bob Iger was put on the California Economic Task Force for reopening. What impact has that had in helping Disneyland get open? In the call, there was I cannot remember any mention, maybe something about downtown Disney, but I don't recall that there was any mention of Disneyland on this conference call. That's a flag. Um, they stayed away from that hot topic. I think there needed to be more talk about that hot topic. 
a few weeks ago, you announced we're going to replace Splash Mountain with a Princess and the Frog attraction. My question to that would be, how can you afford during this economic period to do that kind of redo? And to that effect, I'd like to also know why the water parks are not open. Now, this is what has been explained to me about the water parks. I think it's fairly interesting. What I have gleaned about the water parks is that they actually make a greater, bigger, substantially bigger profit than the four theme parks. They have little overhead. Their parks are largely paid for. Uh, a lot of pumps and a lot of lifeguards, but it's not a high overhead that they have. And therefore, they make a great profit on it. However, given their tax structure, they have to pay uh, tax on that profit. And because of it, it doesn't, because of that tax, it doesn't warrant reopening at this time. That's what I've heard. Still, I'd be interested in knowing their view about why the parks are not open. Um, I'd like to know the fate of the three promised cruise ships. Are they just backing up their uh, rollout? Is one of them off the list now? What's going on there? If you're talking about things like Splash being redone, why can't Mandalorian be in Galaxy's Edge? If I were going to make a big, if you're going to focus on a successful IP being in the parks, why can't Mandalorian in some form, it's not exactly the same time period, but hey, that Yoda baby lasts forever, you know? I mean, he's just 50 years old, he's still a baby, so why can't it be extended in some form into Galaxy's Edge? I think that's a missed opportunity. Um, we have not talked about this, but I hope to have a podcast in the near future about it. Um, most of the unions approved go Disney, Walt Disney World being reopened. The only one that did not approve it was the Actors' Equity Union, which uh, um, is linked to Broadway Actors' Equity. And as a result, shows such everything from Indiana Jones to Frozen, uh, Sing Along to Beauty and the Beast, um, to Lo Festival of the Lion King, Finding Nemo the Musical, all these shows have been tabled during this reopening. Um, union, the union feels, and I'm summarizing this briefly, but the union feels that these are not safe environments and that Disney should um, require masks of their actors and that they should be regularly tested. That said and done, Disney is not agreeing to that. And as a result, nothing's come of it. This is frustrating many, if not most, of the performers of these shows who want to come back to work. Some believe that this has more to do with the larger Disney Union picture of Disney theatrical productions on Broadway and Disney's role in that. There's a lot going on, but in the interim of all this, 
Disney has turned around and they've set up some different shows. There's a new up kind of bird show. There is a new kind of Playhouse Disney show. There is a new kind of Beauty and the Beast um, band with characters waving at you. There's been some substitute type shows that have been put on. I'm just, I'd like to ask the question, what messages are you sending to your performing Disney cast members by going off and doing other shows without their labor? These people are on your side to reopen. What messages are you sending when you reopen without them? That would be a question I would ask in a shareholder meeting. The one question I would not ask, but it is a question I have asked in previous podcasts. I have reflected my concern toward diversity and the need for greater diversity among the executive team and board. I would not have asked that question today. And the reason I would not have asked is because Christine and McCarthy, who is CFO, did a slam bang job of being sharp, articulate and focused during that call. I thought she delivered a solid performance and she represents some degree of diversity in the Walt Disney Company. So I say maybe there's more good than I'm giving Disney credit for in terms of their efforts to be diverse at the executive level. All that said and done. Where do we go after all this news? I say there are still rays of hope. So let me talk about what I think is the good news out of all of this. There are some portfolio segments in the company that are doing very successful business. Disney Plus being the leader of that. Um, there isn't enough profit, but there is a profit at the parks. They are not operating those businesses um, that they have reopened at a loss. That is positive. To that effect, now is the time to go see the park with few crowds. I was pleased to hear no mention of cutbacks and layoffs. I'm not saying this isn't gonna happen. After all, Universal has done a big swing of that in the last week or two, but at least they didn't put it out there just to appease investors. Um, and that's not to say that maybe there isn't fat in the organization to get rid of. My perspective in business is that the time to get lean and mean is not during difficult economic times. It's when you're in the good times because then you can get people to move on to a better place. When you do it in lean, mean times, you just send everybody into panic and fear. So, but you know, at this point, again, that may change tomorrow, but at this point, I haven't heard any play discussion of layoffs, at least in an effort to throw a dog bone to investors. By the way, I will also say it's hard to imagine anyone wanting to do a takeover with so many challenges as a Disney company, um, especially companies sitting on as much cash as they are. Now, let's reverse this um, 
let's reverse this back to 1984 when Disney looked like it was going to be eaten up by um, wolves, investors on Wall Street, chopped up and just dismembered. And that was the period in which Michael Eisner came in afterwards and, and they, they managed to reorganize the company. This doesn't feel like that time. Doesn't mean that an Amazon or an Apple couldn't come in, but I will say that um, I feel like they're better poised. Um, the Walt Disney Company is not the struggling seventh place studio that it was in the early 80s. It is now one of the most admirable organizations in the world. And the way it's set up and the way it's diverse and the way it, it, it sits on cash, I just think it's in a stronger position than ever. It doesn't mean it couldn't happen, but I think it's in a stronger position than ever to avoid going through a takeover attempt. By the way, I will say um, that this, um, I hope this shakes those, shakes loose those uh, short-term fair weather investors, um, the people who want a, a quick turnaround for their investment. This is not the company for this. The Walt Disney Company is for solid long-term believers. If you are looking to invest in Disney for the next couple of decades before you retire, or you're looking to invest for your children or your grandchildren, this is a great company to invest in still. It has over the generations seen growth and, and has delivered to long-term investors. So I hope the people who are looking for the short-term investor, I hope they leave and, um, and move to something else because that's not, that does not help support the, the long-term stability of the company. And to that effect, um, investors uh, drove the stock up uh, just a little bit in after hours trading. So that was, that also was positive. Um, so there is a ray of hope. And on, the, uh, on that description of hope, let me just mention, I talked about that first piece of music being the song from Olaf from Frozen 2. The second piece of music that was played before the conference call was a Star Wars orchestral piece. Um, Star Wars is ultimately, as George Lucas explains it, it's about hope. It's about finding hope. That's what he saw in these movies, messages of hope. And I hope that um, hope can sustain Disney as it moves through this very difficult um, once-in-a-lifetime experience that it is going through. I have hope moving forward for the Walt Disney Company. I hope you can see the same for it as well. Well, that does it for our Disney at Work podcast. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. We've had some great ones where we talked about five things Disney could do to improve during the COVID-5 experience. We've talked about um, my stay recently at Disney's Wilderness Lodge. Make sure you check that out. So many podcasts. Again, be sure to subscribe. Visit us at our YouTube page, J. Jeff Cober, where we uh, have videos that we will be 
um, bringing out, especially uh, some new ones that are coming out very shortly. And just hang with us. We are glad you could join us. We appreciate your, um, your joining us for these podcasts. In the words of Sinbad, Storybook Voyage, that's uh, episode 37. Remember what Alan Menken wrote in those great words. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take care.